Drama, proudly presented by the Milford Academy, where children should be neither seen nor heard. <laughs> I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Banjax, and now Suicide Jockeys, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, film guy, comic book writer, and uh, apparently Duke Leto cosplayer. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and via other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it out. Um, we should probably uh, get a couple of plugs in before we bring our sure. uh, esteemed uh, We can plug. In, right? Tell us what you have coming up, uh, Rylan. Oh, well, I'm going first this time. I don't know if I was going first. Uh, yeah, so my uh, latest and greatest, uh, uh, my uh, tokusatsu joint, Suicide Jockeys, is in comic shops right now via the fine folks at SourcePoint Press. Um, issue three hit comic shops last week. Um, so there are three of these uh, beauties waiting for you there. Uh, tokusatsu for the uninitiated is the uh, Japanese sci-fi action genre. Uh, that includes things like Power Rangers and Super Sentai and Voltron, uh, but also includes kaiju fare like um, uh, like uh, 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 Godzilla. I am. It is so early right now, and I my my five my five year old uh, woke me up at five a.m. this morning, just like vibrating with Halloween uh, uh, enthusiasm. Sure. So sure. I am uh, running at half speed right now. Um, Suicide Jockeys, in a nutshell, is um, Fast and the Furious meet. Oh, and now you fro you froze for a second there. Yeah, let me get my video back. Oh. It is a morning of technical difficulties. Should I sing a happy little tune, or will that get us in uh, copyright trouble? I'm gonna do my I'm gonna do my uh, plugs. I have uh, Elvira meets. I'm gonna. I was just gonna do my plugs while you were resetting. Okay. Uh, I have Elvira meets Vincent Price currently on stands. Issue two is out. Issue three is coming out in the next week or so, and um, there'll be another Elvira uh, Kickstarter coming up soon. But that has not officially been announced yet. Ryland, uh, what is what is Suicide Jockeys? <laughs> we're doing this all out of order. The uh, it's all gone to hell already. It's all gone to hell. Uh, uh, Suicide Jockeys, in a nutshell, is uh, Fast and the Furious meets uh, Voltron with an extra dollop of heart and soul. Uh, uh, anyway, it's in comic shops now. Go get it. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's uh, stop the bleeding and, and, and bring the good <laughs> <on>. Our <laughs> guests today are Susan and Billy. And Hello. Hi. Hello and Hi. welcome Hi. to the show. Is that a I, that's a yoga ball, a giant red balloon. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. What what you're seeing is um, packing material. I'm in the midst of fulfilling a Kickstarter while running a Kickstarter, which I don't recommend at all. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. I, I, I think our our last guests were people who do Kickstarters once a month, and I God God bless them. That's it's yeah. an it's an incredible, I can't imagine, the packing and shipping alone, I can't imagine it. But uh, if you can make a successful business model out of it, <laughs> I am not here to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, those boxes used to go to the ceiling. So we're 
we're good. We're far along here. You put yeah. a dent in it, yeah. Yeah, that's, we put uh, a definite dent in it. That's definitely progress. Susan and Tilly, you have nothing menacing behind you except a portrait of Los Angeles at night, I think. Uh, like with and a Bob. pillow of Captain Picard. So he's, he's there. Oh, that's, no. that's a, a little menacing, but I think you give it a you give it an Earl Grey tea, and it, it that is pretty solid. It won't hurt you if you set tea and tea and biscuits out for it. It's uh, it's not too scary. That's uh, right. So Susan and Tilly, tell us a little bit about yourselves, just by way of introduction. Sure. Go. I'm Susan. This is Tilly. We are a writing and producing team. We write and produce audio dramas and also this show and other shows. And we don't write this show. No, we don't write this show. <laughs> um, and what else? We write comics and also etc. And then we are, stuff. we are working on, actually, we are part of the writer's room for the upcoming Hugo Awards Discom 3, which will be aired on the internet in like mid-december mid-december yeah and all the matrix jokes are ours so just nice. so you know nice good yeah. good to know and be prepared for that and madeline tell us a little bit about yourself uh i'm the writer creator of the steampunk supernatural graphic novel and prose series boston metaphysical society which is now being turned into an audio drama nice very nice i believe i Bought a copy of that from you at the strangest, smallest Comic-Con I have ever been to <laughs> in a mall in Fox Hills. Am I that could, that right? Oh, my God. That could be. Yeah. The, yeah. I think it was Sh ShiroCon. ShiroCon. Yes. ShiroCon. Yes. ShiroCon. That was actually a fun little con. It, it was. I remember Christy Shin was there. A couple of my friends were there, which is why I swung by. And I think that's the, that's the first time we spoke. And I picked up a copy of... Uh, whatever was the current Boston Metaphysical Society uh, product at that moment. But yeah, that, uh, was a, that was an all uh, female con. Yes, that was, yeah. I remember that was the premise of it and it was great. Uh, let's start, Susan and Tilly, why don't you tell us how you got into the audio drama world? How did you launch into that? We fell into it backwards um, <laughs> and we started before podcasts existed. So we did everything wrong. Um, and yeah, when we started, we just wanted to make stuff and we didn't have a lot of money. We were like, look, we could do this for not a lot of money. So like in the beginning, it was like just figuring it all out from scratch. We didn't have yeah. any experience with anything <laughs> and roped a bunch of our friends into it and made some episodes that were not very good. And then we got better and then we started attracting better talents. And now we just kind of have a whole volunteer network, I guess, all mm -hmm. over the place where people who, uh, you know, mix for us and act for us. And it's some of those people are actually pro voice actors now, too. Like, so it's actually kind of cool. Yeah. It, I mean, it's really weird because when we got into it, nobody was doing it no. at all. It wasn't like now where there's 500 new shows every year. And well, not, no one was doing it in the U.S. That's not even hyperbole. <laughs> it was still there's like, like 500 new scripted audio drama podcasts like it last year. I think. Yeah. So when we were doing it, there was only like two other groups in all of the US that were doing them that were, we were aware of and podcasts didn't even exist. We were just dumping MP3 files on a website and hoping people found them. Um, but yeah, like, and then when we started, you know, we were more like administrative, I guess, like there were a lot of frustrated voice actors out there acting for these free shows, and then they would never come out. And then 
So we started to hear about that. And then we, we made sure we had like regular release dates and schedules and things like that, which was apparently a huge jump, <laughs> like from a lot of the shows that were being it's put out. It's still somewhat unheard of for a lot of the shows coming yeah. out today where people, you know, they, it, they're doing it as a hobby, which is fine. And then they just put out an episode whenever they have one, but then the audience doesn't know when to find it. And you don't, you have to keep that regular schedule or the audience for the will, moment, you'll um, lose them. Yeah. yeah. And we've had all sorts of things to teach us along the way, things we should and should not do, such as the person who faked their own death to avoid mixing one of our shows. And then oh, wow. we realized we didn't have a centralized like place for all of the lines to come in from the actors. So it's like hard to get the files from the person because they were faking they were dead. And so after that, we... We now have a centralized place for all of our lines in case someone drops out. We can, you know, quickly pivot and get the lines to someone else we're mixing. Or catastrophic hard drive failure, which has happened yeah. multiple times. Ca so yeah, that too. Things you have like backups that. for the directors and mm -hmm. whatnot. So, yeah. And you've been. And how long ago was that? I'm sorry. I just want to. I want to drive that home. How many years ago did you start? We started in 2004. Yeah. Okay. How time. how many uh, how many individual episodes do you think you've done since then? Or count hundreds um i would say if you're just talking episodes and like a lot of our shows have commentary tracks as well but not counting those if you're just counting the main episodes there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 i would think no, we don't we didn't write all of them we wrote no, no. we wrote quite a bit of them but we also produced shows that other people wrote that mm -hmm. right like the 52 people. of these <laughs> and start with this one this is 52 episodes of this uh, my, which is not a scripted drama, obviously, and neither is Pulp today, but there are 40 episodes of that. So plenty, it's uh, plenty of drama here. It's, it's quite, quite a little empire that you've, uh, that you've, you've put together. And, um, Madeline, what attracted you? You're just starting to launch this now. Is that correct? Well, I was coerced, um, <laughs> <laughs> into this, uh, Boston Metaphysical started as a graphic novel series about six, six, seven years ago. And a friend of mine, uh, Eddie Louise, who was a co-creator with her husband of an audio drama called uh, Sage and Savant, which was on for four years. Uh, she and I became friends and pre-pandemic at the Nebula convention, she sat me down and said, you need to turn this into an audio drama. This would make a great audio drama. And I'd actually heard that from a couple other people as well. So I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, you have to help me because I have no idea what to do here, you know, and not even how to start. So we sat down and um, I hired her and her husband, Chip Michael, who co-produced Sage and Savant with her. He is an audio engineer and a composer. So the three of us make up the production team. Um, I wrote all the episodes. Eddie Louise was my script editor. And then I got to be a producer and uh, handle all the casting and the hiring and the contracts and and everything. And we launched our Kickstarter for this uh, about a, a week ago, week and a half ago. And we just fully funded this morning. In fact, my actors Congrats. told me this. I didn't even know. I, I just got up and was eating breakfast and checked and like, oh, we're, we're funded. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite, we were doing... We were doing well, and I knew we would fund, but I didn't think it would be today. How so, many how many days left do you have in it? We have nineteen days left. Okay, so this will air with 
15 days left in the this this episode right here will yeah. drop still be 15 days left plenty of plenty of time for people to get on over there get on over there give more money yeah uh, and uh just to let people know it's called boston metaphysical society the ghost ship nice and so is it an adaptation from the beginning or is it a continuation of things that have already been printed actually it is a brand new story Ooh, that wow. happens in between the original six issue miniseries i kind of think of it as like the case files of boston metaphysical society so i kind of slip it in between stuff <laughs> a little connective tissue i think a little a little a little i think that's a smart idea because you know i I've, I've considered doing audio drama stuff and there there's something to be said for no, you. This this isn't a way to get around reading the comic books, guys. No. <laughs> you you got to read the comic books and you got to listen to the show. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think that's a. I actually think that's a that's a a useful model. Well, uh, I, I I I just love that. I mean, what, I, I there's this theme that keeps popping up. I think as we do this show and as I as my professional opportunities kind of evolve, where. Um, I don't know, the tools we have at our disposal and the tools that are used regularly to kind of tell a story and build out a story. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's more and more every day. I mean, I, I, I love this where something starts out as a comic book, but then it, it gets built out as more and more and more. And so you have an audio drama element and then maybe there's a video element and then maybe there's a, um, you're seeing people take this, you know, uh, taking this this approach more and more i mean um uh i have a lot of uh nft people uh, uh talking to me now um uh, uh, about telling stories and you know uh we, we don't want this to turn into an nft episode or uh or, or debating you know the the ins and outs of nfts and and, and and all that stuff but what is attractive about uh the nft world as a you know in, in terms of storytelling is that I don't know. It's it's a new way to tell a story. It's a new way to approach a story, and you're using all of these elements. Okay, so let's let's use images. Let's use video. Let's uh, let's use found documents. Let's use uh, all of these things. And so so how can you kind of take all of these weird, odd puzzle pieces that kind of shouldn't fit together and fit them together to tell a, an interesting story? Um, and so, Madeline, that's what I think is interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I've loved your your book for a long time as a comic book, and now Thank there you. is now you're kind of kicking your way into these new worlds. Um, and so, I'm I'm excited and interested in hearing the audio drama, but then also excited and interested in well, okay, where else is this going to go? Because um, you know, it seems like kind of the sky's the limit. I mean, you could, uh, you know, there are a dozen other arenas you could kind of move this into. I know, I know, right now you have just. Uh, 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 spent a lot of time, a lot of effort, probably a lot of money uh, uh, making this an audio drama, and you are now uh, running a Kickstarter, which is also exhaustive. You have your boxes behind you. Um, uh, so you're not thinking about that. But um, but yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it's like, and, and then every time I hear a story like that, you know, I mean, I, I have my books. I don't have audio dramas for my books yet. I don't have, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Source Point Press, uh, uh, our publisher, uh, yeah. they publish uh, Boston Metaphysical Society. Um, they have a huge tabletop gaming business, and uh, one of the things that drew me to them was like, okay, well, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna make Suicide Jockeys the comic book, but also, what would Suicide Jockeys the game look like? Um, and 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 uh, you know, this is interesting. It's it's this crazy new world that we live in right now, where 
um, you know, okay, well, let's, let, you know, uh, this story I'm telling can be anything. So, yeah, you know, yeah, so I mean, I've, I've, I've already had fans say like, okay, when's the tabletop game coming? And yeah. I'm just going, yeah, I'm just going one thing at a time, please. Just one thing at a time. But <laughs> I mean, all, all of our stories are, are well suited for multiple mediums. So yeah. there, there's no reason just to stay in comics. And, and also as a writer, learning to write in a new medium is not only fun, it's challenging and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And it's learning how to, to think a different way, to create a different way and to tell a story a different way. And, uh, I just like to learn new things all the time. So it's like, okay, let's let's go learn this new thing. And um, the ghost ship is a standalone story. So it's, the season is a complete season. So there's no, you have to wait till next season or anything like that um, with the eight episodes. Uh, but if I do decide to do a second season in another one, I know, you know what I've learned now is it's gonna be so much better. You know, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be able to communicate with the actors better with our audio engineer better because i just know how to do that now and um i mean to me that's exciting to want to do that again just to do it better mm -hmm. well it's what's what's funny to me about this is you know nfts are you know are are brand new brand new stuff but this is 1930s culture yeah yeah uh and it's funny to think about that it it never went away completely i mean i grew up I listened to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Star Wars as NPR radio shows. I wouldn't I wouldn't call Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy a radio drama. Uh, it was a radio comedy, uh, but it was uh, you know I listened to hours and hours of that, and I feel like in a weird way the digital media, the iPods and then iPhones are actually what brought radio back. <laughs> you know, what yeah. brought the radio drama back was in fact, you know, but it, what's fascinating to me is that it's not a, there isn't this thing of like only the latest thing is the thing people want in the sense that Virtual reality isn't going to make television go away. Television didn't make movies go away and movies didn't make radio go away. Not really. Yeah. And when we had the technology of having the little thing in your pocket with the headphones, suddenly people wanted 1930s radio shows again. Yeah. Uh, because they could, because you can't, it's bad. You can do it, but don't watch TV while you're driving kids. It's yeah. don't do it. It's bad. <laughs> don't do it while you're jogging. You might run off a thing or run into a thing. So, uh, so it's just fascinating to me that like the appetite for radio drama never faded from humanity. We just stopped delivering it <laughs> because, you know, radio culture went away for a little bit, but well, it was uh, really hard for a while when we had started, um, because nobody in the U S was making them. And so when we would tell people what they were, they're like, what is that? I don't understand. And it, so for like the, I don't remember what year that the first iPod came out and then podcasts became a thing. It was like late 2000s maybe. But um, when that happened, um, so many more people could find you. And then, but even still, we were the, there were hardly anybody making scripted audio drama shows. 
And like iTunes didn't even add categories for fiction podcasts until I think it was two years ago. Before that, we were just dumped in arts, even though we're not like an arts podcast. This is a, a scripted fictional thing right. to listen to. So um, it was very strange. And now, yeah, now they're all the rage. So every, the barrier for entry is so low, um, more than any other medium. The the cost, the even the amount you need to learn to like start making your first one is so much lower than film or even comics. So um, anybody can just dive in and just get started. And they are. It's It's a really... I don't know, democratized medium. Mm-hmm. Well, and, 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 and it's, I, I mean, to, to everyone's point, like we're not, we're no longer a monoculture, right? You don't have to, when you make art now, you don't have to appeal to fucking everyone, right? Or, or, or the most amount of people, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, uh, you know, television shows pulled in 50 million viewers, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're only pulling in 12 million viewers, you quickly got canceled. Now, if you pull in 12 million viewers on anything, like you are, you're a mega hit, you know, yeah. uh, and that's TV. But um, but 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 viewership interest has like fractured in a really great way. And so so now you're um, you know, now if you do this, you know, I, I, oddball isn't the right word. But if you do this left of center thing very, very well, people are going to find you, you know, um, uh, there uh, there will be enough people that will come to your party to make it a worthwhile experience, you know, and then also it's, um, I mean, it's like you said, the barrier for entry is so low. Um, we can make these things in our, in our homes now on our 13 inch laptops, and then we can just upload them to iTunes and literally millions of people, you know, billions of people have access to them. Right. Um, uh, uh, so people will find them. It's not, you know, it's not like it was, five, 10, 20 years ago, where it's like, okay, well, I need to make one of these things. And then one of the three outlets, one of the three mega outlets needs to uh, pick me up, approve me, approve all, all the scripts, uh, bring advertisers on, uh, yeah. you know, there's, there's not that mess, you know? So it's like, and then when you do all that shit, you need millions of viewers, right? Um, yeah. and, and that's just not the case when you're making it, when you're making it in your office, in your basement or whatever, like, Sometimes if 50 people listen to it, it, it becomes worthwhile, you know, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it's the same thing with comic books. It's like, we don't, with our comic books, we don't need to sell like 20,000 copies of every issue for it to be a worth worthwhile financially or any of that stuff. You know, um, you can go on Kickstarter and if yeah. hundred people, if, if 300 people back it, suddenly it's profitable and it's, it, it's worthwhile and it's it, all of these things. So it's like, I mean, we're in a wonderful uh, 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 time and place as, as creators uh, in comics in in TV and audio and all of these things. Um, just art in general is kind of thriving in an amazing way. And I don't think that like we stop to appreciate it enough. Mm. Yeah. Crowd crowdfunding platforms have done a huge amount to democratize art and to finding your niche audience. Um, I mean, I'm a niche within a niche and I fully realize that. Uh, but, you know, being able to use, you know, crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter, you know, I've been able to to grow my business and and it's been, you know, an amazing journey to do that. And others have done it as well. Uh, so So people can find exactly what they like and not have to just rely on what used to be the three major networks to, you know, oh, you have to like this. And it's like, no, I don't like this. I like all this other stuff. And now we can find it. And our fans can find us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, and, you I, know, 
go, go but, ahead, Tilly. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, um, Rylan, what you mentioned too about the, you know, there's not just these three networks or even just the studios that can make things. The fact that audio drama specifically, the barrier to entry is so low in cost and in uh, what you have to learn to be able to put one together and start figuring it out, that it has the most diverse and inclusive um, amount of content that of any medium. There, the LGBTQ content is so, so deep. You could listen to 10 new shows starring LGBTQ characters every day for a year and you wouldn't run out of them. And that's not something that television or movies or even comics can offer you right now. Sure. So um, it's getting a whole lot of other stories out that aren't getting out any other way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really good that there's it's, uh, this opportunity for so many unheard voices to get their stories out. Well, and, and, and that's what is, it, what's exciting. I mean, it's a great point, and it's what's exciting about Kickstarter in general is that it, it's it's giving a, a voice, a platform. Uh, so, so it, it, what you're talking about is not happening in mainstream comics at the moment. But if you go on Kickstarter, it is a it's a wonderful yeah. buffet of of points of view and backgrounds and all of these things. Any kind of story. Um, and what I like about it is, is it, it, it's like the cool new store. You know what I'm saying? Like you come on for something. Like there were a lot of people that came on to, uh, uh, to Kickstarter because they like Keanu Reeves, right? <laughs> and, and they buy Berserker like 2 million other people did. But then they're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, they get emails from Kickstarter and it's like, wait, this is pretty cool. And this is pretty cool. And you know what? I'm into this little niche and there are five things, you know, five comics about this niche here. So let me, you know, oh, wow. This person has a similar background to me in this and, and and they start to see themselves uh on kickstarter where they weren't for years seeing themselves uh in comic shops or on tv or on the radio or any of these things and I, this is fucking magical you know um it, it, it's awesome and it, it i mean it's magical for a consumer uh for someone who who for years has kind of wanted to see themselves in in media but it's also amazing for a creator for a number of reasons because okay well if you are a creator who's coming from uh, an interesting point of view you you didn't have a place to to show off your wares or or or, or, or something like that but 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 just just for anyone and everyone um for years we had to wait for permission from someone yep. to make the the book the audio drama whatever that we wanted to make right uh, again, there were there were five people who could say yes or no, and if they didn't say yes, then your 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 project died on the vine. This story that was important to you for whatever reason uh, never got made, never got told. Um, you know, I mean, we're uh, we have a lot of screenwriters <laughs> on the uh, oh. on, on the call right now, and how many how many dusty fucking scripts do we have on the shelf that no one will ever ever see? You know, so um, many. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. But but, it, but but we can we can write a comic script, hand it off to a to a to an artist, and and we have pages, and uh, uh, and, and 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 it can go any number of places. Anyway, I, I'm talking to. Well, I, I think to to Tilly's point, I, you know, yeah. I think you see this always whenever there's a marginalized art forms draw marginalized people. Uh, the, the lower the gate is, the people who are not even allowed to come up and knock on the gate. Are going to find that open door and walk through it and and do the work. Um, that's that's been the case forever. Uh, you know, you don't have a hard time finding LGBTQ painters in the world. You know, it's a it is a it is about getting past the gatekeepers and the way in which the modern technology erases the need 
for gatekeepers uh, is huge and it is culture changing. And you know, how it eventually affects the gatekeepers is the gatekeepers see what can be successful that they didn't buy and go, mm -hmm. oh, I, I, I could have, I could have, oh, yeah. hey, hey, we, we need a gay superhero. There's this gay superhero <laughs> thing on Twitter, on Kickstarter. Did, hey, maybe Superman could, I don't know. Uh, you know, so, so yeah. those people didn't get that idea uh, because they're such swell folks who are looking out for diversity originally. Uh, they get the idea because they go, Oh, hey, a market, an untapped market. How the hell about that? Let's. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Tyler Perry becomes a billionaire in like five years, and and then you know, and then every white executive in Hollywood is like, wait a minute, like like black people want to watch movies, like. <laughs> well, yeah. my God, you know, like the yeah, the, the hundred years of film before then didn't inform any of that. But well, the other the okay. other side of that though the downside of that is that now all of the mega corporations have podcast arms and they're developing super high budget podcasts with gigantic stars in them that makes it really hard for all the indie people to compete yeah. with where before uh, so it's it's they're definitely trying to hollywoodize it all yeah like, by they're taking just... away a bit of the it, it makes it much harder for the indie people to get it's already so hard to get noticed because there's so many new shows all the time and then when you have these people when you're competing against you know, uh, who was it? I think it was Lawrence Fishburne started his own show and he started it and he got, you know, it's like when you're competing against that and I'm not saying it's not good and he shouldn't do that, but <clears throat> that changes the entire playing field. I feel like it's going to come around again. They're going to get bored with it. But like this year, Hollywood well, acts like they invented podcasts. That's well, yeah, like I mean, the what's happened this year? Like specific the new thing. Podcast arms now that they treat like IP farms, you know? Right, right. And, so and, we've actually yeah. had meetings like that where they just want to take our ideas 100% and buy. Like, right. <laughs> and then yeah. see ya. So, yeah. Like, yeah. No, it wasn't there. I, I don't know if it was the first that was not a like nonfiction podcast, but uh, that Julia Roberts show, Homecoming, can't remember what it's called. Uh, that was based on a on a audio drama podcast. Was wow, was it? Okay, yeah. that's uh -huh. yeah. I, I think that was a first where it was a, you know, and it's also interesting because the second season, it's hard to think of anything I've ever watched where the quality fell so completely off a cliff between season one and season two. And I was like, is it that the podcast only did the one season and then they ran out of, you know, the, the people that bought it from them didn't let them develop. Season. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what happened between season one and two, but part of me went like they, maybe they ran out of the material they were adapting and this was their spin on it, which was then bad. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's the thing. I think people don't, People who are watching streaming shows and whatever are not generally conscious of how much stuff they're seeing that came from comic books and podcasts and, you know, all of the many other, you know, content farms that are out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and movies 20, 30, 40 years ago were based on comic books, but they didn't tell anybody that because back then it wasn't cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they they were afraid it would turn off the audience. I mean, there are movies from uh, the 60s, 70s, and 80s that were based on comic books, but right. no one ever knew that because it was a marketing liability then, as opposed to now, where it's a marketing tie-in. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they've been doing that forever. Yeah. They just bury, they bury the info <laughs> unless it's yeah. useful. Well, it is the, it is that thing of like studios go like, well, what's, what is selling in another medium and paperbacks were a new thing in the twenties and thirties. It was magazines and magazines sort of got relate replaced a little bit by paperbacks. And uh, one company was like the main paperback company. And I looked in the back of a 1930s paperback once and it was, here's everything else we publish. Every single thing they publish was a Warner brothers or Columbia movie in the thirties. Like every, every book that was popular enough to be a paperback, someone in Hollywood went, well, we're, we'll let's, let's shoot that. And some of them are hilarious. There's a Warner brothers version of crime and punishment. You're familiar with crime and punishment, right? Yeah. It's 92 yeah. minutes long. Uh, awesome. It's very, yeah, well, very... It's, it's actually only called crime because they never yeah. got to the punishment. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very, very snappy. Peter Laurie plays Raskolnikov. I think Marlena Dietrich and then Von Sternberg. But I, that, I love that. It's like, you know, you stretch 400 pages of Dune over 500, <laughs> you know, minutes of movie. I get that. But boiling crime and punishment down to a tight crime thriller, that's, uh, I, I miss that a tiny bit even with my Duplito beard. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit process that, uh, you know, Susan and, and Tilly, how big a learning curve was it to start writing audio dramas for you guys? It took a little while, probably like a good half dozen scripts at first till we got the feel for the medium. But um, the great thing about it is that it made us better at writing in other mediums. It made our screenplays stronger. It made our pilots stronger. Um, because, you know, when you're writing an audio drama, you only have dialogue and you only have sound effects. And that's it. I mean, you can put musical score and you can put music cues in a script, but that's all you have to work with. And right. so... Um, and you also have to realize, like, okay, I have a sound effects cue here, but is it going to be clear what's going on? Like, right. there's that too. Right. But the, the best thing that it helped with was our dialogue and being able to convey exposition naturally because... We didn't do the old time audio drama. Right. You don't want it to way. sound too hokey. Or they'd you know, be like, you way. just came in through the window and yeah. you are pointing a gun at me right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. People don't talk like that. And there's so a, that was famous, the biggest, the there's biggest famous thing. There's a famous Lone Ranger blooper, by the way, where the actor even comments on it, where the guy says, wait, I hear a white horse coming. And he literally mutters. <laughs> Who the hell wrote this shit? That's <laughs> you awesome. know, like live on live on air. He's like, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> like, what is that even? I hear a white earth horse coming. Anyway, sorry, that. Tilly, go on. Yeah, but it really, really improved our dialogue because that's all you have. And if there's if there's one line in there that just doesn't work, it's going to stick out so much worse than in any other script because. That's all you have is the dialogue, and so. Plus, you could always sneak a, a monologue in there, which is really sure. fun every so often. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think the thing too that surprised us, at least for me, is that um, we write in a lot of mediums: comics, pilots, screenplays, audio drama, and to me, audio drama writing is the closest to comic writing. It feels like they're two sides of the same coin. Because in comics, you only have visuals, right? Even if you put in a sound effect, that sound effect is going to be a visual representation. You, there's no sound that comes with it. Right. And so in terms of writing the two of them, I feel it uses the same part of my brain because you have to focus only on that one sense. What's the visual? What's the audio? You know, 
Um, so to me, they're they're very similar in that way, mm. which I found really surprising. But Did, was there anything that helped you? Did you listen to other radio dramas? Are there any books on the subject? I've never even thought about it. I don't know. When we started, we were not there were like no other audio dramas really fans of so. audio drama either. Like I mean, I was. I grew just... up with with some, but. We weren't like experts. I no, guess. we just learned by doing and saying, wow, that really sounded awful. Let's not yeah. do that again. Yeah. Um, and you also learn by, you know, uh, we would release stuff and be like, oh, God, that sound wasn't clear. Nobody knows what's happening because there was no dialogue context around it. And the sound itself wasn't clear enough. You right. know, if, if somebody's pouring a drink and that's all you need to know, any liquid pouring is going to be fine. But if it's important to the story, you know, that's coffee. If no one says it's co coffee doesn't sound different than water. Or milk, right. or so you know. So you have to. It teaches you a lot to think in a di really different yeah. way. It works completely different parts of your brain. And it's funny that you say that you compare it to comics because they, they're both so guilty. White horses, they're both so guilty of terrible exposition. If you go particularly <laughs> old comics, like in the seventies, every issue is like. So, Professor X, why are we landing on Muir Island again? Well, as you know, Scott, it's like well, <laughs> it, it, there should be an alarm bell, like a loud klaxon that rings if you type the words "as you know" yeah. into yeah. a script because you are doing the world's shittiest exposition dump ever. As we've previously discussed, Scott, I need to talk to Moira McDa. Well, then yeah. why are we saying it again? I don't. And that was like endemic in all, all comic book writing. I think the greatest thing that came along in comic books in the last 10 years is the inside the front cover recap. So we don't need Han Solo. Why are we trapped in this corridor? Well, you know, our plan to rescue Princess Leia hasn't worked out. And Ben is busy doing the thing with the tractor beam. So I don't know what yet. It's like no human on earth has ever spoken like that. And, you know, and it's this, and you get the same thing in, in old 1930s radio dramas of like, say, you know, why, why are we going to the cobalt club Lamont? Well, I'm, you know, as we discussed in the cab. You know, like, right. As, as we got more experience with it, we realized, you know, <clears throat> you have to start like even at the story stage to be like, okay, this person needs someone else to talk to they can't be talking to themselves all the time. Like it's fine to have someone talk to themselves occasionally, Yeah. but having someone else to bounce things off of. Well, right. Cause you want it to sound natural. And if they're only talking to themselves to get information out to the audience, then it's, that's going to be immediately clear. Yeah. So well, uh, one of the most important things we learned was to always have at least two people. Uh, solo person scenes are really, really rough to make work sure. in audio. Um, but no, I don't know of any, books about writing uh, for audio specifically that I could recommend, but we have a um, anthology show that is, since its inception, has been open for submissions. And so the only thing it does, every episode, it features two uh, short audio scripts that were submitted to us, and we go through a whole editing process. And a lot of the people we've done that with have never, ever, ever written audio drama before. We will take you through the entire thing. We will help you revise. We'll show you what's not clear, what needs to be tweaked. And so um, we've gotten a lot of people into the medium that way that, that have gone on to then make their own shows with us and with other companies entirely or by themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been one of the greatest things that we've been able to do is help get more people into the medium that way. Yeah. Sure. I remember, uh, I remember yeah, in the I 70s, there was a thing about uh, they were trying to turn classic TV shows into audio dramas. 
for uh, people who had sight issues. And they just, the two big Desilu shows, they were like, Star Trek is great because even after an action scene, Captain Kirk comes on and tells you what you didn't see. <laughs> it's always Captain's Log. We've been captured by the Ecosians and we're, we're in a cell, me and Spock. And Mission Impossible, they're like, worthless. Because every other scene is someone in silence doing something with their hands. <laughs> and it's like, you don't, have, you don't have Jim Phelps saying, later that day, me and Greg Morris were uh, climbing in a window and then this happened. Like, so Star Trek already, everything that a sighted person would have already accepted, Captain Kirk would recap when you came back from the commercial. You didn't see it, but uh, the Klingon ship exploded and then uh, some other shit happened. Um, so I always thought that was an interesting sort of how to make things work in that way, audio only. Susan, yeah, actually, you, I think I... now the BBC and uh, I think the Radio Revival Theater, um, I use them as references. They have scripts. There, they have scripts. There's some online uh, courses you can take for audio drama um, because that's that's what I did. I went and downloaded stuff. I studied it. Um, for format, uh, sound effects, and things like that. So I think probably working with Susan and Tilly would be much more fun <laughs> <laughs> than uh, than doing it than doing it that way. But I also had the luxury of, after I studied all of this, being able to go to my script editor and and have her fine tune it. But no, there's no books, but there's definitely stuff online. Well, I I, I think that Susan and Tilly need to write the book. I think, I that, think uh, you're right. I, I, think they I, should I, do. I think they've spent years teaching people how to do this very yeah, well. And so, and, and, and you are, are very gifted writers in any medium. So, so write the book, I think. I don't know. I think that's, I think that's some very, that's a very a great good idea. idea. And yeah, that's I, something I bet you could kickstart. Not that I'm trying to assign you guys more homework, yeah. but, uh, Not a bad idea. and, yeah. and it, and it could be a comic. Instead of, <laughs> instead of a prose book, yeah, you, you yeah. lost me with the comic yeah. thing, but I think there's this other thing happening here that that, that, that that we should sort of shine a light on, and um, it's this thing, this theme we keep coming back to in the show. A lot of the people that, that watch our show, they are creators or they are uh, would be creators, should be creators, whatever. Um, and, and this theme always pops up where it's like, okay, well, you have to, you know, it's not enough to be a comic creator or a screenwriter or uh, someone who makes audio dramas. Um, you you kind of can't survive that way. You know, I mean, I, I, I saw this happen. I, I went to the American Film Institute Conservatory uh, with, uh, you know, there were 120 kids in my class who were the, the, you know, they weren't even kids. The average yeah, age was 35. So, so, so they're working adults. Uh, Madeline went to UCLA. So you know, th this was this was a this was one of the best places in the world to study film. There were people there that were that were harder working, more talented. Maybe not harder working, but certainly more talented uh, 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 than I was. You know, at the time. Um, and of those 120, you know, people uh, who were kind of knighted, I don't know, like a handful of them are still working. A lot of them are back in uh, um, you know Pennsylvania selling insurance and whatever. That's that's fine for them. Maybe it wasn't going to be fine for me. Um, uh, uh, you know, there is not a ton of opportunity in the film business, right? Um, yep. And and so and so, I learned very quickly that okay, well, if I stuck to my guns and I was only going to be a screenwriter, that I was going to be back in proverbial Pennsylvania very soon, right? 
Um, and so I had to, you know, and, and so I had to start writing fiction and comics and, and doing all of these other things. And it works twofold. Um, we, we, already, we already made the point over and over again in this very episode that Hollywood is all IP driven. And so yeah. if you want to be a writer in Hollywood, if you want to be a creator in Hollywood, the best thing you can do is write, write short fiction, make audio dramas, make comic books, all of these things. Because, I mean, here's the thing is, uh, you know, uh, there used to be a market for original ideas in Hollywood. When I first got spit out into the job world, you wrote a script. If it was good, you sold it. And I did that for a few years. And then the writer strike happens, yeah, financial yeah. crisis. Hollywood is making about a third as many films as they were, you know, yesterday overnight. Um, uh, development, uh, development deals went bye bye. Yeah, yeah, Almost exactly. Yeah. And, and then that, and I talked about this before. That coincides with the IP revolution, where everything in Hollywood needs to be based on something—a uh, book, a comic book, a video game, whatever. Um, and I had a few lean years, and that was when a lot of those people I went to AFI with moved back home. Uh, because they could not sell a script to save their life. And finally, I had this, you know, I had this epiphany. Well, if Hollywood wants IP, why don't I just give them IP? And so I took the idea that I maybe would have made into a movie before, and I wrote it as a, a short story. I got the short story published, and we had a bidding war overnight. You know, ju uh, 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 ju Justin Lin on one side coming off of Fast Six, and, and um, uh, you know, uh, Robert De Niro on the other side, and, and my boy Tyler Perry came off the top rope with a... Uh, uh, an offer. And, and then suddenly, so, so since then, you know, for the last, I don't know how long it is now, 10 years, my business has been creating IP and setting it up in, 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 in Hollywood. And so, and, um, and, and so if you, you know, if you want to make it in Hollywood, doing these other things, being a writer and not just a screenwriter is the best thing you can do for yourself. There is this other thing. So, so business aside, um, uh, all of this stuff is soul food. Like, like we, we, we all write, we all create because we can't do anything else. We have fucking stories inside of us that we need to tell. We have like shit that we need to work out. For me, writing is therapy. It's like, I get my demons in a room. I get them on a page. I beat the shit out of them for 22, 30, 120 pages, <clears throat> whatever it is. Um, and that is how I stay sane. And if I don't do that, I will literally fucking die. I don't, I, 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 I don't know anything else. Um, and, Years in Hollywood of writing great scripts, scripts that um, whatever won a competition or sold for a shit ton of money but never got made. Uh, these stories that I've told that I poured my heart and soul into that no one will ever see. Um, that was tough. That was very tough. Um, but learning that okay, well, I could I could write a short story and people will see it immediately. I can write a comic book and people will see it semi immediately. I can do an audio drama and people will see it. Uh, uh, semi immediately and and get my meaning and 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 all of that me that I poured into it people will appreciate uh, in one way or another and then after that it can have a life in Hollywood if need be and the beauty of it is like well the the soul part of it the me part of it is already fulfilled right um, it, it, like it, it, if it's only an audio drama if it's only a comic book if it's only a short story fucking wonderful like like my my work is done um you know of course i'm going to continue to push the sisyphusian you know ball up the mountain or whatever the rock up the mountain uh uh and, and and try to you know get the hollywood thing done um but so yeah so so long-winded way of saying like there is there are so many advantages to doing this to being a writer and not just a screenwriter to being a creator and not just a filmmaker or, 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 or a comic book creator or, or, or whatever. Um, uh, there, 
there are financial gains to be made, business gains to be made, uh, 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 you know, soul food gains to be made. Um, so, so branch the fuck out. <laughs> Sermon over. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the most surprising things for me that we discovered in doing this is that we started because we wanted to get our stories out there, you know, as writers. And I did not anticipate how fulfilling it would be and how much joy it would bring me to help other people get their stories out there. Not just through our uh, anthology show, which is the main way that it <clears> happens, <throat> but when there are other writers we believe in and they come to us with an idea, we can make it happen for them. And uh, all the other shows we've produced, all of the shorts that appear in our anthology show, we don't take any IP rights because we're not in this as an IP farm, we're in this to help people tell their stories. Uh, and to tell our own stories and so um that has it's just meant the world to me to be able to help people just like you were saying right like no one's ever going to see the story but i can it could make a good audio drama we're like yes it could let's make that happen for you right now we can make this work but and i think it's an important like it's an important point that ryland is making about making something because it's like there's so many avenues now like you can mm -hmm. find so many avenues if you just look to yeah. get into a comic anthology, which might not cost very much money to, to publish a short story. Because it's like, there's so many writers out there on Twitter that are like, I'm a screenwriter. Great. You yeah. and 3,000, 10,000 other people are yeah. sitting on Twitter going, I'm writing screenplays. And it's like, you could make something and have a link and be like, you could just click here and see something I wrote that's been published mm -hmm. like it's important to work with your limitations mm -hmm. not just wait for someone to discover you because that ain't gonna happen yeah and yeah. even that happens at every level though i mean star trek the the original series is a great example the reason star trek in part is so talky is because they were aware they couldn't make space battles every single episode it just wasn't a thing they could do yeah the budget back then right. or even the effects capabilities in the 60s exactly. were so, limited. so they're like this is what we can do this is the show we're gonna make right mm -hmm. yeah well i mean it, 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 until two-thirds of the way through next generation they 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 didn't have the effects capabilities really i mean if you, sure, you, sure. Look, back, you look back at the wolf 359 battle and and they were they were buying hallmark ornaments and like and and, and adjusting them Nick, you can see them you know. <laughs> Uh, 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 but 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 that's a great point. And 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 just to just to hit Susan's point on the head again, do not wait for fucking permission to make your thing. Just and 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 and, and if for some reason it can't be a comic book, then make it a fucking audio drama. And if for some reason it can't be an audio drama, then I don't know. You know, make it a make it a tabletop game. Make it whatever. Do not like just just you know you gotta flow like water. You know, if if you can't go this way, find a crack and go that way. Well, right. the thing, yeah, I mean, I, I well, always... <clears throat> when we were in production with the uh, the original six issue miniseries, I was writing short stories and novellas based in the universe to establish canon and just to enrich the universe. And I got those out there on Amazon as you know, little short stories and whatever. And it just, you know, it just helped the universe grow and for people to find me. So you just you know, exercise your creative ability in multiple mediums. Yeah. There was a, there was a phenomenon I noticed in the nineties that I called the cocktail party question, which is I knew a lot of screenwriters, all of whom made a lot of money, worked for the studios and had beautiful houses and enviable lives and all of that. And they were miserable. 
because they wrote things that were never made. They were paid millions of dollars for them, but studios make X number of movies a year and buy Y X, X times 100 number of scripts so that their middle management can have something to do writing notes about those scripts and justify all of the salaries. And I know so many screenwriters who, again, made great livings and couldn't bear up under, you run into them a party and say, what do you do for a living? And they say, I'm a screenwriter. And you say, oh, what have you done that I would have seen? And they go, well, unless you've been inside a cabinet at Universal, uh, you haven't seen any of my scripts, but there's a giant pile of them for which I have been paid an insane amount of money. But those people were deeply unhappy. Like the money on it, if, the, if you're a real writer, writing a bunch of stuff that's only been read by middle management is deeply painful. And the first, I went into the DIY world almost immediately and got into independent films and that was its own horrible roller coaster with financing and whatever. But my first taste of all this is I made a web series in 1999 before there was, before there was full penetration of broadband. So it was a terrible idea. And, you know, I was at a, about five years too, too early, but part of it was I'm going to make films for nothing and I'm going to put them on this website. And when people say, what are you doing? And I actually sold it that way to the actors and to the cinematographer and to the musician and to the post house. I said, you know, sometimes people ask you, what are you working on? And you have nothing, you know, and you certainly have nothing to show for it. And I told the, the DP and the actors, I was like, this will always be there. Someone asks you at a cocktail party, what have you been working on? You can show them this link. It's never going away. We were in, we made about six episodes of it over a period of a couple of years. Um, and, it, and, you know, and I foolish, I did very high production value because I wanted it to have that kind of sheen um, and using all that I had learned in making low budget movies. But it was that same desperation. The guy that ran the website was a guy was one of those screenwriters who went into web development and hosting literally because he was frustrated and he had no outlet and building mm -hmm. websites was actually the creative website and uh i went to some i went to some uh la film festival panel about all the new streaming video platforms and they were all so crooked and horrible i mean literally Every single person on that panel either went to jail or testified against someone else <laughs> on that panel. Uh, Adam Films, Digital Entertainment Network, maybe you remember the giant piles of money that were poured on these people at the beginning of the, none of those sites still exist. None of, I, my films were on iFilm for a while. iFilm, yeah. Gone, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. if they, you know, other companies bought it and tried to monetize it. Uh, but, you know, I look at the fact and it's like now literally, you know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier has taken the place of my sci-fi conspiracy web series from 1999 in that same you can actually only watch this on the Internet uh, kind of way. So all that to be said, you know, yes, what's going to happen, what always happens is the studios come in and they Bigfoot, uh, they Bigfoot you and they make it hard for your shit to get out there and get seen but the ultimate goal of making it and getting it out there is still uncomplicated. The struggle is always getting eyes and ears on it. 
and that is the that is the endless struggle in every you know you you want the job of being a artist for a living to be making art for a living but that's about 30 percent of it 70 percent of it is how do i get this seen by anybody ever sure. uh, and nobody has the magic bullet for that but it's that thing of the great thing is that people that discover you in these worlds, their devotion to you, and partially it is the hipster thing. This is that thing that only I know about because I found, I found it on iTunes and I listened to it. But uh, it is kind of wild. A, a, a friend that I've made only in the last couple of years messaged me last night laughing her ass off and she's like so every halloween i show all my friends this video and this is a friend i made through twitter and she's like for 15 years i've been showing people a youtube video of yours before we were friends that's this obscure horror parody thing that i did and she's like i had i looked yesterday and went oh david avaloni uploaded this it's his film you know i had no idea uh so you know you never know who you're reaching and you never know, you know, the vast majority of people aren't going to comment, aren't going to write you an email and say, I love you. So uh, you just, you know, you just have to have a certain amount of faith. I am still to this day, like I've had comics that have sold maybe the maximum 25,000 issues, 30,000 issues, something like that. I'm still surprised when anybody tells me they read it. I'm like, Oh really? How nice. <laughs> you know, like how unusual. I'm sure George Lucas doesn't have that response when someone tells him they've seen Star Wars. Oh, oh, you saw that, did you? You and you and every other inhabitant of the planet Earth. Good for you. Yeah, I think we're the same way. Like we are surprised when people notice our stuff because it's it has never been the goal, I guess. Like we just want to get the thing out there. It's really important to have an outlet when you realize so little of your work is going to get to the people that you wanted to get to. Right. But it, it takes away some of that knowing that you have a way to make things the way you want to make them is a huge like relief, like being like, if this doesn't go anywhere, I can always make it a different way. And that's fine. And it's like, I got a million stories, whatever. You don't mm -hmm. like that one. Great. Here's another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's, well, what's I, I, been I, fun for me is just when uh, someone finds you. Uh, mm -hmm. I was at a small steampunk convention called Gaslight Expo a few weeks ago. And a gentleman came up and he says, oh, I went to my local comic book store and I asked him, do you have any steampunk comics? And they said, no, we don't carry it. But there's this one called Boston Metaphysical that we can order. You can, you, know, you can go look it up. Well, for me, it was like, one, the comic book store actually knew I existed, which was like amazing. It's like, they know I exist. That's amazing in a comic book store. And the gentleman came and he just looked at me and he says, you're her, you're her. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it was like so exciting. And, and he was like so happy because he goes, I found you, I found you. And I said, yes, I'm right here. <laughs> and, and he proceeded to buy all the comics. And I was like, you know, that doesn't happen very often, but when it uh -huh. does, you, you realize like, Oh, well, this one comic book store, even though, yes, SourcePoint distributes my comics to comic book stores, you don't really realize that other people see them. Yeah. <laughs> Until you go out there and then someone says, oh, yeah, um, I have you on my poll list. I'm like, you have me on yeah. your poll list? 
But that's that's why that's why develop. I always evangelize for developing uh, relationships with retailers and being aware of retailers because they're your they're your first line of evangelization. You know, they they are your evangelists. They are your missionaries that are out in the world spreading the good word. And if they like you and they like your work, they will. Yeah. Someone will come in and say, "Do you like? You know, I like steampunk." And you're you're it. You're what they've got to go to. So that's a, you know, we we all. We all hope for that to have people out there saying, you know, who's great, you know, who you should get into, um, you know, and that's yeah. the. That's wait, 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 yeah, yeah we, we, we all hope for that. Um, and, 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 you know, and as creators, it means so much to us, but like as creators, we have audiences. Right. And so I have, I feel that it's my responsibility to tell those creators about as many other great things as humanly mm -hmm. possible. You know what I'm saying? I think it's I, I, knowing, knowing that knowing that my projects live and die based on people like you being like, hey, readers, you should also check out this. Um, it is my mission every morning to wake up and tell people about one, two, three, five, ten things, right? Um, just put them in front of them. You know what I'm saying? It's like m most people scroll by it. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, some people may be like, wait a minute, steampunk, you know? Um, uh, I know that, I mean, you just get down to nuts and bolts. Like my Kickstarters live and die based on other creators being like, Hey, check this out. Um, it is my, it is then my, it is then my responsibility to put your Kickstarters up in front of as many people as I can, as often as I can. Um, uh, we, we come back to this all the time. Comics is an ecosystem. It's a team sport. Uh, we, we live and die, you know, based on how we play together. Right. And so, um, so everyone listening, you know, fucking go on Twitter right now, uh, pick two or three people and put their shit in front of somebody. Uh, 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 uh Madeline has a, uh, uh, a Kickstarter going right now. Uh, go back it first of all, if you haven't, and then retweet the shit out of that. Uh, uh, Susan and Tilly, uh, uh, have a entire podcast network of amazing content, including this podcast. Uh, go listen to some of it. Um, and then tell a friend about it. Um, uh, this is great stuff and, and put it out there. Evangelize. Uh, uh, evangelization is is a word yeah. uh, that maybe maybe you just invented. Avalon. No, maybe it's it exists. A, I'm pretty but, sure it's a real world. Yeah, but 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 but, but I like it. I I think I need it. If you can evangelize, there can be evangelization. <laughs> I think. I, I think I prefer the word advocating. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 Evangelize has that fer that religious yeah. fervor in it, which I think yeah. Yeah. it does help, and yeah. it does. Yeah. Th there is that thing where you can see it the the passionate advocation that you get uh from the best retailers yes. uh who are not like hey have you heard about this character batman you know like no one needs that guy <laughs> you know like that is not that is not helping anyone uh we've all heard of this character batman um but that you know like i said benefiting from the hipster thing of Here's a thing nobody else knows about and is in on just yet. Get in on the ground floor. Be the be the first kid on your block uh, to to subscribe to all of these things and listen to all of these things. I was I was curious. I wanted to ask uh, just for people who are who want to jump on board with pendant audio stuff. What was your first like? What's your flagship? I feel like I know there's a there's a show with the most number of episodes that you've been doing the longest amount of time. Yep, uh, that is. The Kingery. It is a sci-fi crime dramedy. It's sort of about uh, mobsters in space. 
It's been running uh, continuously since 2006. It is presently um, in the back half of the 11th season. Um, it has consistently been our most popular, most downloaded, most listened to show. Um, and uh, we're planning season 12 now, so it's still going. Um, I have to get on the outline for that. I'm a little how behind. We've episodes, been very how many episodes per season? Uh, 12 episodes per season. Um, so it's well over like 120 episodes now still going. Uh, most episodes range from 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, releases usually one episode every month. There are some like mid-season hiatus and season breaks, you know, while we're working on new stuff. But I'm super curious. Have you needed to recast anyone in oh, yeah, years? Sure. This yeah. happened um, in most of our shows over time. Um, it has happened here not, and there. Not that many, though, to be perfectly honest. Right. I mean, sometimes you just get people who, you know, they get too busy. They can't do it anymore. So they let you know they're going to step down and you recast. And sometimes people just ghost you and never come back. And you're like, well, I guess we'll I recast mean, the role. Or they sometimes just die in the show. It just it could happen. <laughs> sometimes they fake their deaths in, in real life. So. That's. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a little fascinated because that is a long time. To yeah, hold in on. fact, like, um, the, the season actor, one is very different. That is a long time. <laughs> it, it evolved a lot over time. Uh, it's a very um, like hard R-rated show, but the season one is very PG-13. It definitely got uh, more intense as it went. Um, but that is a show where even the lead actor, after like uh, nine seasons, he was like, "I think I've done all I can do with this character." <laughs> so. You know, and he's he's a writer on the show, and he still writes for the show. But acting wise, he's like, I think I've explored everything I can possibly explore. But as, as a part, voice actor, as part of the universe, they have kind of a body swapping technology, so we kind of okay. that makes it easy too. You can just oh well, they're they're this person now, but it's the same person inside. Yep. So you Doctor Who'd him out of there, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that it's real magic. in in sixty eight no. they considered opening on Her Majesty's Secret Service with James Bond getting surgery on his face because Blofeld had seen his face in the last movie and they were going to do that. And I think halfway through shooting on Her Majesty's Secret Service, they went, this guy is only going to do one movie and we can't open every single goddamn James Bond movie with a plastic surgery scene. So That's we're just going we're just going to walk away from explaining why he's a different guy all the time. Yeah. yeah. The first time it happened to us, we had to recast the lead in our first original show uh, after only like four episodes. Um, and I was like, well, we could write in something. She's a pilot in World War II. Uh, and so I'm like, maybe there's a crash and something happens to her voice. So it explains, right. Right, right? But then I'm like, well, hold on. Because then every time this happens to any other actor or even the same character, we have to yeah. write in an explanation for why their voice changes. And the best way is to just just not. Just don't. Yeah. The audience will roll with it. That's fine. As long as you as long as in the new uh, episode or whatever where the new actor comes in, one of the other characters calls them by name so you can identify this voice is now this character yeah, yeah. that you've been yeah. listening to, they're fine. They expect yeah. it. Or they don't expect it, but they can deal with it. They'll roll with it. It's not an issue. So. You just ignore it. Ignore yeah. it and move yeah yeah it was uh, there was a uh, so so the fresh prince of bel-air uh they replaced aunt viv at some point yeah that's um, right yeah. yeah and it was it was the beginning of a new season and will's in the kitchen and aunt viv walks in and she's just going about her day like you know like whatever and then will turns to her for a second kind of does a double take and he's like aunt viv there's something different about you <laughs> and then <laughs> and then there's like a massive laugh from the audience that dies down and then it's just, they and then just it's just not. She, she's just Aunt Viv. 
<laughs> from yeah. that point, but but just a little wink to it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and they did exactly they did exactly what you sort of prescribed for the yeah. for the ailment, and then they moved on. But uh, but that I really stuck in my mind. I really love so. the solution they did on uh, when the Roseanne show came back. A friend of mine plays was original recipe Becky as opposed to extra crispy Becky that came along later, and I love that they brought in second Becky for when my friend Lisi was in college and made her the surrogate mother that first Becky hires to have a child with. They're like, they found a way to use both cast members to bring both of them back in a way where they were connected as people, uh, but, uh, you know, but not have to explain, my daughter actually looked like you for four years for some reason, I can't remember why. But, uh, I, but yeah, I'm I, I, I'm I'm still a little bit scarred from the the Darren Bewitched switch. However, I, I don't know why. <laughs> Usually, these things I, I handle pretty well. But I was just like, wait a minute, maybe I was too young. I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, I, I I didn't see it when it actually happened. Obviously, like I was born years later. But yeah. I was I was watching reruns as a kid, and I'm like, wait, that's not dad, you know? Um, I, I, I I wish they had written at least one scene where, you know, off screen, he says, I wish I was taller. And she goes, you know, like, <laughs> well, you are tall. You're, you're, you're suddenly about a foot taller. taller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did a recasting uh, between season one and two of Sense8. And uh, their their whole thing was just, well, the character is now bald. And so someone just, you know, his best friend is like, hey, you look so different with your head shaved. And then they moved on. And that was it. Yeah. It was done. Yeah. So, so all that to say, it's not some you know. Even with the doctors doing their transformations, and they've gotten a lot of mileage of that out of that over the years, it's just not something audiences seem to care much about. But yeah, I just I I assume there was no way you did a fifteen year run on anything and were able to hold on to every single person that you you know that you set sail with at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, if if Marvel has to recast Bruce Banner and you know Rhodey, then. <laughs> And a little indie audio dramas are going to have to recast too. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I I don't know who cast Ed Norton and thought, oh, he'll be great as an Avenger, you know, in a in an ensemble cast with a bunch of other movie stars with big that 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 won't be a problem at all. It's like couldn't even couldn't even really stick with him through one movie. So <laughs> you know, it's like, hooray for Mark Ruffalo. Anyway, we should probably wrap up. We usually wrap up by asking people where they can be found. I know we've been talking about that all the way through, but uh, what your current thing is, where you can be found, what you're working on next. Madeline, why don't you go first? Uh, currently, we have the Boston Metaphysical Society, the Ghost Ship audio drama on Kickstarter right now. Uh, we are fully funded and moving towards our first stretch goal. Uh, I guess, as you mentioned, when this drops, we'll probably have about 15 days left. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I finish this, when this ends, I'm also fulfilling my previous Kickstarter from earlier this year, <laughs> and I hope to take a brief vacation. That's what I really wanted. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> what's the What's the first stretch goal? Can you say? Oh yeah, it's uh, we're giving digital wallpaper of the CD cover, and if you've seen it, if the cover was done by my uh, usual graphic uh, artist for the. The graphic novels, uh, Gwen Tavares did it, and it's just it's gorgeous. So yeah, people should just go check that out and and ogle over her uh, her beautiful art. Nice and Susan and Tilly. 
We're mostly on Twitter all the time. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can find all of our um, scripted shows and our unscripted shows, like this fine program you're all listening to right now at pendantaudio.com. And if you want links And also on to, iTunes, yeah. And iTunes, Spotify, it's everywhere. Wherever. All of our stuff is. Um, and uh, if you're interested in the writing we do outside of that, uh, through comics, role-playing games, uh, screenwriting, all that stuff, you can find all of our stuff at birdguest.com. Yep. Birdguest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. One yeah, word. Yes. There was a, a FedEx guy who came one day with a package for us, and he asked for, for bird the guests. bird guests. And so we... we we laughed so hard because our name Bridges is one of the easiest things yeah. to not get wrong. It and took me a minute to understand where bird yeah. guest came from. And that's great. Bird my guest, father you know. used to my, about a quarter of my dad's pen names and he used a lot of pen names were misspellings of his names from takeout menus. <laughs> like delivery guys trying to spell Avalone, you know, I think amazing. There was a there there he used the French nom de plume uh Marcel Alavoin, which was one misspelling from a I think the Chinese takeout place in our neighborhood uh liked Marcel Alavoin for Michael Avalone. But that's great. Bird guessed that's a great use of that because <laughs> Uh, that, that, that there has to be there has to be some upside to someone not being able to pronounce bridges. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, my, my name is Ryland Grant, so it has never been uh, spelled correctly on anything. Uh, yeah. uh, and 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 to that end, uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. R Y L E N D G R A N T. It's not a real name, so I have to spell it for you. Um, and um, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, the Ringo Award-winning Aberrant and the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax can be found in fine comic shops everywhere alongside my latest and greatest suicide jockeys uh out now via source point press there are three issues go grab them they're pretty damn great if uh you ask me um <laughs> uh but but honestly uh issue three is is awesome we really uh 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 I am an ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk. I don't talk about that too much, uh, but that is explored pretty uh, intensely in issue three of Suicide Jockeys. We really uh, brought some Zen into the mix. So if that sounds at all interesting, if you like a little Zen with your tokusatsu, go do it up. Um, and then my Kickstarter books, we've been talking a lot about Kickstarter, uh, the Astral Projection, Pillar of the Jump, and the Fargo S Crime Drama, The Peacekeepers, uh, can be had via Backerkit right now. If you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, the jump one word, the number two, the jump to backerkit.com. You can find all that shit. So go get it. Noise. Um, my, like I said at the top of the show, my current thing is Elvira meets Vincent Price, as it always amuses Ryland when I say, if that title attracts you, the book is for you. If you're not interested in it based on that trial, I got nothing for you. That's, you know. <laughs> You have to intrinsically be interested in the idea of Elvira meets Vincent Price, but if you how, dig that, you how could, dig that. If you dig that, you dig that. But how could you not? Um, we have another project coming up based on uh, Cassandra's 40th anniversary, playing the part. Uh, I don't think I can say the title yet. Um, and some other stuff. All can be found at uh, DavidAvalonefreelance.com, which is my website name. The word freelance is in there because GoDaddy are bastards. Um, they squatted on, I, I searched for davidavalloni.com in like 2002, didn't buy it. And when I went back two years later to grab it, they were like, we own it. And we would like several thousand dollars for you to buy your name back from us. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. 
um, davidavalonefreelance.com. It has links to all of the comic stuff, all the movie stuff I'm doing, and this podcast. And also, I have one more podcast with uh, Pendant Audio called Pulp Today, which is mostly me reading from uh, classic pulp literature. And I use the definition of pulp that is if it was ever printed on cheap paper. So that goes all the way back to the Odyssey. And uh, that's that was like drinking. This. Don't forget, there's and a lot drink, of drinking. Yes, there's, there's a Great lot sound of work with the glasses I, I, and the, I, I, the ice. Yeah. I'm coming what on a, soon to discuss Rocky IV. The novelization um, of Rocky yeah, Four. Yeah, yeah, so 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 pencil me in. Uh, it's coming, uh, and then if people really dig that, then we'll go backwards and do Rocky. We'll go back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's that is pulp today. That was started like this was as a pandemic project and something for me to do to make me uh, you know wash my hair at least once a week. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks everybody thank for listening, you. and we'll so catch you, you on the us. next exciting Thanks. episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.